Welcome to Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Simone Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in film, television, off-Broadway, and commercials. Every Monday, I'll bring you an incredible mentor in the entertainment industry, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. My goal is to encourage you to follow your dreams and give you a playbook on how to get there. Thanks for listening and let the episode begin. Happy Mentor Monday, everyone. I am so thrilled to share with you this episode. It's one of my favorite episodes, my favorite interviews, with director and producer Rosemary Rodriguez. She has directed films such as Acts of Worship, Silver Skies, and television shows, uh, including episodes for Jessica Jones, Dickinson, Sneaky Pete, The Good Wife, Law and Order SVU, Elementary, Covert Affairs, Blue Bloods, and more. Uh, and we talk so much about her process in terms of directing, how she only started really in her mid-30s, and why, which is so interesting. Listen, I may have teared up a couple times in this episode. It is just super impactful, super meaningful. Um, her story just really touched me, and I connected with it, just this idea of just all the feelings that she spoke about. And um, yeah, I, I don't want to say too much, but what I will say is that she really brought up this idea, which I had no idea of how difficult it is to be considered both a television and a film director, that despite all her television credits it's taken years to really be able to be hired as a director a director of her of films and not just be able to direct her own films so so interesting and we also talked about the process of how she saved money to produce her and direct her first film which was so interesting guys let's just get to it without further ado here's rosemary rodriguez First question I always ask is, what was your first role in the entertainment industry? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, my first role in the entertainment industry was working as a parking PA on a movie. Oh, my God. I can't remember what it's called. Robert Redford and Deborah Winger were in it. I don't know what it was. Ooh. It was just a couple nights of like when you have to put those cones out. And like reserve parking for people. That was my very first job. Amazing. But the fun part was I was like, what the hell am I doing here in New York City? And like, what am I doing? And not that it was like arrogant. I was just like kind of a little arrogant. Like, why am I doing this job? But then I already like saw that they had turned Sixth Avenue, they had turned the traffic like the opposite way. So then they were doing like a little car chase. And I was like, how do you turn like Sixth Avenue traffic around? That's crazy, number one. And then I happened to be like right there when like Robert Redford came out of his like got dropped off like right, right, like two feet from me or like two yards from me. And I was like, oh my God. So it kind of like the night kind of got interesting. So but I never did that job again. That's fair. I mean, once you do it once, you probably learn. You're like, it's not for me. No. I mean, and so I, what did you do? I, I did more PA work, but like running around PA work while they're shooting, right. I didn't like that sort of like sitting and waiting and being still is not like my best self. So wait, how did you get into PA work after that? Like, what, how'd you get like your next thing? And that's a good question. I think that um, 
what happened for me was I moved to New York and I guess through other people kind of like ended up in, in, in the East Village in New York City. There was like a lot of underground like filmmaking and stuff going on and different artists, like underground artists doing things. And so I sort of found, found myself like they were older than me and a little more successful, even if it was a, a narrow audience that they had, they were doing like cool stuff. So I kind of got pulled into that and doing some, um, you know, music videos and, and little independent cable stuff and all that. And so is that where you decided to create acts of worship or is that right around that time or right after? No, I was working there and then I worked um, at other places and then um, worked for a casting director. Oh, which casting director? Susan Shopmaker. Nice. And uh, we went to Sundance with a movie um, that we cast called Hurricane Hurricane or Hurricane Street. Now you remember the title. Um, but it was like did really well that year. That was in I don't remember when that was. Nineteen. Um, so I'm very much in the present right now, so I don't. I love that. Nah, like, yeah. The past is like whatever. It's gone. It's out. So we went to Sundance with this movie that we cast. And then um, I think that was the sort of like real tipping. I was already writing Acts of Worship. Okay. And then because that movie, Hurricane Streets, did like so well. And I was like, it's a cute movie. But like, why was that the hit of Sundance? But I feel that way many years at Sundance. Like, why is that movie? Like, but it kind of kicked my ass. And I was like, wait a minute if we can do that with that movie, it's time for me to like get my movie made because my movie is going to be better. So that did was you always, that. did you always have an idea for that movie? Was it like something you'd wanted to write for a while or you were just like inspired to write it one day and it was like, this is what, this is what's it. This is what's happening. I think when you are an artist and you have something to say, I think the first thing that comes out is usually very personal. Right. And so it ends up, you know, for me, it was deeply personal. And I think because I've been through certain things in my life um, where, you know, I was working in film, everything was going great. And then, you know, I loved like just partying like too much. And I just sort of like took this detour and, and literally like stopped working in film because I was afraid, like the last job I had was like assistant sound editing this movie, Salam Bombay and by Mir Nair, and it was like a good job. Like I was moving up from that yeah. like little underground East Village thing to like doing like real movies. And and I was like up in Washington Heights and I took the night shift so I could be alone oh. up there. So I could jump in a cab and go downtown and buy heroin and then go back to the, like, I was like, and I'm like, I can't, I can't work anymore cause I'm gonna burn bridges. So I'm just gonna wait tables. Anyway, I waited t- and I did that. And then I was getting fired for spending too much time in the bathroom. And then I just was like off the deep end and wow. like three years, like out of my mind, living like wow. a cockroach, like homeless and completely fucked up. I don't know I'm supposed to curse, but you can curse. I was desperate and, and dirty and, and just wow. incomprehensible, <clears throat> incomprehensible demoralization like I was just living like horrible and doing horrible things for money and just craziness so getting to the other side of that and always wanting to be a director was kind of like 
you know, basically I felt like a piece of crap all the time. Like, even though I got to the other side, I had done all these things and like, I had so much to sort of, um, process, you know, shame and guilt and yeah. Come to terms with, Oh my God, so much. So I think making a movie, so working on acts of worship, somebody had told me you can, um, if you get a hundred thousand dollars together, you can get a film in the can. And I wanted to shoot film. I didn't want to shoot digitally. I wanted to shoot film. When I got to the other side of my life, hit a bottom, got my stuff together. I started writing acts of worship and this is a long answer for you. No, this is the best. To just say that I feel that I needed to spit out what I had. It was part of my process of healing was to write this script. And it's very autobiographical to sort of get that story out of my system so that I could move forward with my life and actually be a director. This is all in hindsight. Right, right. At the time, it just, of course. I think when you're, when you're an artist and the first thing that you create is always deeply personal as it should be, because there has to be something inside that's burning and dying to get out. Otherwise, I don't know what's the point. So, um, and that doesn't mean it has to be dark and, you know, it could be funny. It could be anything, you know, whatever your absurd experiences are, but I think it should be personal because I think, you know, it's so competitive that unless you have something that's that you connect to that's that's yours, that's human, then I don't think it's gonna connect to other people. And then I don't think it's it's worth creating. I mean, that's okay. but I feel that way. I don't feel that I'm a self-indulgent artist, but I do feel like I care about like being able to put something out there that that is helpful and healing and and helps people or makes them laugh or entertains them, like all of that. Do you, you think know? it's like, important for just because you said the first work? that someone puts out there, like a storyteller puts out there, or do you think it's consistent? Like any work that someone puts out there should be deeply personal. I think any, all work should, should, I mean, I have to connect to it personally in order to want to do it. But my other, you know, my second movie was, was personal in a way that you wouldn't even have a clue. Cause it's all about old people. So you wouldn't understand that my parents were so much older. My parents were like everyone else's grandparents age. So I grew up with older people. And then I wanted to tell the story about what really life is like when people are older. And was it like navigating pills? And, but it's a comedy. So it's like complete opposite of the dark insanity. of But, it's, but it's still your truth. It's still-, it's still my truth. And it's my dad getting Alzheimer's and it's all of that stuff in there that people don't necessarily know. But yeah, definitely it is. And so, Got it. yeah. So yeah, it's good. Yeah. So acts of worship, you produced it, you directed it and you wrote it. Yeah. So how did, how did you come up with the hundred grand that they felt well, like? So I stopped working in film. And I started working in more corporate America, still in production, but like working for who, you know, I thought was the devil until I realized my life depends on the devil, um, which is. um, (laughs) I thought you were going to say, I thought they were the devil until I met bigger devils. Well, that's true too. Actually, being in Hollywood, that's actually true. But this is like Pfizer and AstraZeneca, like drug companies, because when they're going to launch a new drug, they do like major like meetings and then they produce videos and they have actors like, you know, bands that come like, there's a whole thing to launching, you know, with all the district managers come. So I got into that world where I could make more money 
and it was still production and I was still being creative in my own little, you know, weird way. But um, I say that because I am asthmatic and without my spray, I would just be crushed like every day. So I'm like, it took me a while to realize, yeah, they're the devil, but they actually keep me alive. So yes. that's why, you know, I'm, that's why I qualify it. But anyway, so I started doing that and I kept a little notebook, much like I always have little notebooks. So I kept like, you know, a little book like next to my bed and I recorded every paycheck that I made. Nice. And um, yeah. And then when I got that hundred thousand, I went to the person who told me if you got a hundred thousand together, I went to that producer because I was getting rejected everywhere. Like, and my script was like, you know, I would get good feedback, but like not interested in a dark, gritty New York movie, just not yeah. you know, female director, female lead, not interested. Remember, this is like 20, 2000. Even, even today, I, I spoke with um, a director here in New York right now, like, uh, yesterday, who has a movie right now in theaters. And she said it was incredibly difficult to get any director attached to it, even though she had a female lead who was a celebrity. And, and no one wanted her to direct that. It was like a whole thing. So she said it was, you know, even today, it's still so difficult. She was surprised how difficult. It is. On the surface, it looks all shiny and diverse. And then underneath, it's like, you know, access to financing. Do we really want to put this out there? Who really wants to be, see the world from a female perspective? You know, it's all those questions we're still in flux about. So, yeah, that was, a, that was definitely... Um, a challenge, but um, wait, where is I going with that? Oh yeah, so I saved got the money, saved, went to that producer and then said, okay, I got that $100,000, will you help me? And yeah, she said yes. And so we embarked on, you know, getting the movie shot and scheduled and all that. So it was pretty, and then went to Sundance. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, casual. And then I went to Sundance. Oh my God, it was so amazing. It was- <laughs> That it was sounds incredible to go for your own film. Dude, it was crazy because I actually was working and I was working to pay for the print to send to Sundance. So I never even saw it on the big screen until I was oh, at Sundance. My God. The first meeting at Sundance was the first time I saw it because we had no money. I had to like earn money to put, you know, pay for everything. It was like, it was kind of brutal, but yeah, it was amazing. It was, my family came, it was oh. And did it change anything for you to have that film in Sundance? Was it now... What was the next thing after that? How are you able to, to use that to maybe do the I next think thing? It helped me to call myself a director, which yeah. for me, remember, I'm coming from the mindset of like, I am a piece of crap and look what I did with my life and I don't deserve to freaking live to like, you know, okay, I got this thing and it actually works and it's actually moving people and like I'm here. But I went to Sundance very unable, uh, unable to own that it was my story okay. and unable to talk about it. And I would say in hindsight that although I'm talking about things being very personal, um, you know, when you put something out there that makes you so vulnerable, I was not capable. I knew nothing about this business, knew nothing about selling a movie. And I wasn't capable of owning that it was my story. Like literally in the Q and A's, I just like- Yeah, I was gonna me. ask how next, the Q and A's like, went. Next, like, I, no, I, oh yeah, personally, bye. Like on to the next question. And wow. I should have owned it. Had I owned it, it would have been, would have drawn people in more, but I wasn't capable. I was too vulnerable. Yeah. And I just wasn't prepared properly on how to deal with Sundance. It was overwhelming. 
And, yeah. and I was, you know, I've been a director now for 20 years, but back then that was the first thing I directed. I had, was a female without a voice yet. I was very quiet, very mm. introspective. And unlike, I think guys who are artists who get to be quiet and introspective and everyone thinks they're yes. cool and wants to be around them. When you're a female, it's like, you're already invisible, but then you're quiet. You're like, you know, go to the back of the line. Like they don't even, right. really, you have to really be out there, you know, you have, so anyway, in hindsight, that is definitely was a thing, but I went to festivals around the world. Um, I got to travel. I got to meet audiences that connected with my art and that was incredible. Yeah. And then go to this independent spirit awards and got nominated for a couple of those. And Woo. then, you know, yeah, but was like sitting in the parking lot almost and knew I wasn't going to win shit because I had no name actors or no celebrity or nothing in the movie. And then was back at my day job. Right. And I'm like, what the hell happened? What are you supposed to do in this business? It's so like, surreal to have like a film at Sundance and then be like, now, like, I don't know. I'm going to just keep going back to work. So I can, so did you plan on funding your next thing? Did you want to? Well, I was angry and bitter. So I had more negative feelings to work through. Very (laughs) hard. Like, I'm just being honest. No, please. I went through a little phase where I was like, just, I was just so distraught. I mean, I really didn't know what the hell you were supposed to do. And then I went to the other. Was, wait, were you distraught? Were you distraught specifically coming from a place of like, I just did this. I just directed something. I went to Sundance. I went to the, you know, independent uh, spirit awards. It had uh, film festivals all over the world and nothing's coming from it or like nothing's coming from me so that I could do something else. Like I have to go back to my day job. Was that how just, was that why you were distraught or was it also all the other shit? It was everything, but it was definitely, I mean, I got a manager and an agent yeah. at Sundance. Great. Um, and, but what was coming at me was like, you know, are you interested in this like romantic comedy thing? And I'm like, did anyone watch my movie? Or, you know, I would hear, well, if you're only going to do dark and depressing things, then, you know, we're not really, I'm just like, so that was feeding my like, what the hell are you like? I don't understand. Like, Got it. Do you not watch it? Like, and so and feelings of bitterness and stuff. Yeah. And anger, just yeah. anger. And like at the universe, <laughs> like it was bigger than the business. It was like the universe. It was like, I, I, oh my I really get soul. that. Like, I really get that. I mean, having to save a hundred thousand dollars, right. Going to your day job and then finally putting together this personal work, this personal, you know, reflection of yourself, the story, and then, you know, not being able to have that momentum or not being able to get the projects next that you would hope for that. I would understand that. Yeah. It was crushing. It was like, you know, there's like a mindset that you have. I think sometimes as women, and again, I'm just generalizing, but I speak for me, which is, you know, if I'm a good girl, if I do this, if I'm a good girl and I do this, then I'm going to yes. get rewarded. Yes. And I'm sure good boys feel that way. I'm too. sure too. I, I get it. But I think that we have this idea that we can actually make it happen for us when like, we're actually in a male dominated business. That is the truth, the hard fact, the reality. So, and at that time, again, nobody's talking about that because at that time, people are like, that's sour grapes. It sounds like sour grapes. 
you should not talk about that. And I literally talked to that way. And, and then I was told, you know, anyway, I was told about this fellowship for women and minority directors and thank God for that. And so that's how I got my start in television or a start to making a living as a director. Right. And, and, and that was, that was incredible. How long was the fellowship for? It was for six, well, six episodes. So basically like six months. Nice. Um, they had to shadow like six episodes of television. And then they had the option. It was through John Wells, mm. um, who at the time, um, he's a big writer producer. And at the time he had ER on the air, he right. had Third Watch and um, West Wing. And is so, that what you did third watch, right? Yes. And he had, I mean, those are big shows at the time. So yes. third watch was a smaller show, but it was a very in line with like my, you could watch my movie and see that it would be gritty, dark, character driven, yeah. New York, you know, it fit in there. So I was lucky that that door opened. And then listening to the advice, the wrong advice of agents was like, at that time was like, don't talk about movies. Don't talk about your movie, mm. just TV, TV, TV. Cause you want to work in TV because that's what, that's how they can make money. Right. Nobody, they don't want to invest in movies because that's too long a time and too little money. So I didn't know that at the time either. I just listened. Okay. I won't talk about my movie. Wow. So I didn't, and I'm, I'm not, I only say this to impart that experience. To of people. course. So, you know, of course. no, I got that. And it's different now anyway, because now TV and movies are more integrated, yeah. but in all honesty, they're not as integrated as it looks on the surface because okay. it's really big movie directors get to do TV, but TV directors are still not good enough for movies. Like it really doesn't meld the way people think. Or the way, you know, like, yeah, Soderbergh gets to do like, you know, all of his episodes of whatever, but it's, it's totally different if you're, so now what happened to me is I guess I became known as a TV director now. So that's why I know the difference, even though there shouldn't, there is no difference, but. Right. It's directing. It's direct. It's the same. You have a vision and you make yes. it happen. Yes. Um, but you started doing more television, right? So was there anything, what, what did you pick up from, because you said it, it is sim it is the same in so many respects, but what did you pick up from your experience of doing all these television shows now? I think what I, well, what I learned even from that shadowing um, was that TV is, it's all politics. Mm. And I saw the dark side of politics in Hollywood. I saw people get, I saw, you know, people get blamed. I saw actors like, you know, going through hoops, trying to like direct and then, you know, not showing up when like a new season started or being like, I have to have an operation. And then I just all kinds of crazy ways that like producers, actors, writers, like interact in how like everyone's sort of power grabbing and, you know, just really it gets you know, I'm in the scout van. I'm just like going along shadowing. I'm, I'm a good shadow. Cause remember, I don't really have a voice yet. So I'm right. quiet. I'm doing, I'm just observing. Doing what you're told and, yeah, and I'm hearing rules. Like, yeah. And it's crazy. And I remember, yeah, just, just the thing of like how people will say something to someone's in front of them and be really sweet and flattering and like sounding present and sincere 
And then that person's gone and then they start shit talking them. And I'd be like, oh, this is like, what? And the number of people that do that was like, what is going on here? This is horrible. It was just went against everything. And I was just got so scared of like, do I have to be like that to succeed? What am I going to do? Because I'm living a good life now, right? I'm like, really trying to live like a really good life, not just like the gray area life, but like, I'm like, you know, in the white light, you know what I mean? I'm like, you know, I have since like mellowed out a little on that, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but it's a tricky business. So it was, it was challenging. And I learned that in TV, how to navigate all that and not always successfully or without getting harmed along the way, but so what age were you starting to really get, a, like, get some momentum in getting projects and stuff? I'm curious. Like, at what, what, what age were you like, I'm starting well, I to think feel I like have I'm not as more, I have like 10 years, lost years of like completely fucking my life up, basically. Yeah. Almost 10 years. I mean, you know, I, a good solid five, you yeah. <laughs> I mean, of like not working and like, so I kind of like lost some time there but I would say yeah I would say in my 30s I was like getting yeah well maybe not closer to 40 maybe I don't know I I, I only ask because first of all I think that's so freaking amazing for people to hear because there's so many of us wherever we are in our ages that always think that we're like, I mean, I'm not in my twenties anymore. I'm in my early thirties, but who always like, everyone always has this worry that they've wasted time. Even if oh, always, you know, always, you know, like oh I'm wait, God. I'll talk to people in their twenties. I'm wasting my twenties. I, I'm not doing as much, you know, you're in your thirties. You're like, what have I done in my twenties? Like, what did I do to get myself here? Like, it's not, I'm not where I want to be. And I, there are certain people I I've always remembered on this podcast that I interviewed, you know, off the top of my head, a, a specific agent who I love and a specific casting director who I love. And both of them didn't start doing what they were really doing until their mid thirties. Hmm. And there was just something, I don't know. I don't feel like it gets talked about enough where like, you don't need to have it all freaking figured out, you know, in your twenties and you don't even in your early thirties. And if it goes to your mid and late thirties, you'll still be okay. And there's still enough time to like, to figure out what else you want to do or how to get to the place you want to be. And as someone who's an actor who like has done some stuff, but you know, I'm auditioning still, and I hopefully will do more. You just, you want to keep hearing stories of like, this is, this is also real life. It doesn't always happen like this. You know, I I think that, I think that the thing about this business is that you have to be in it for the long haul. Yeah. And so it all happens. Everyone's trajectory is different, which is what keeps us all in it. There's no pattern. There's no mold. There's no plan. Every movie is different. Not linear. Performance is different. Like it's never been done before. Everything we're doing has never been done. So there's no template. So then why do we think there's like a timeline when there is no timeline? Every movie happens in its own time. As much as you want it to happen two years, four years earlier, it takes the time that's supposed to happen. And sometimes I think that that ability to embrace the process has been, uh, it's lost and it's lost on me as well because we're also need so much stimulation. So I kind of miss that 
process, but it just has to do with your perception of time. I beat myself up a lot over time that was wasted. But the truth is I am starting to, maybe this is part of just getting a little older too, starting to realize that that voice that I couldn't find before and I beat myself up for that too, is finally here. And I was beating myself up for getting older and not being where, I'm, where I wanna be, you know what I mean? And I'm still not where I wanna be, although I'm in the best place I've ever been. Um, but you know, it's like, just we need to stop beating ourselves up because the truth is every single experience is making you the artist you're supposed to be. It's true. That's a good point. Every single one, every rejection, every beatdown, every, it just, and it's, I hate that because I don't really want to deal with character building. I want to get made. <laughs> you're like, don't you feel like at some point you just kind of want to be like, I'm done with the character building. Done. I want to get to, but you know, I will say I haven't, I've only spoken to me. This is the second time I've really, maybe third, if you count like the test call for the panel that we've did, we did together. But in general, we haven't spoken too often uh, together. And I find you to have a very strong voice, like a very, you're, you have, you're opinionated in a good way. Not like too, not like, you know you're you're uh polarizing in any way but i find you to be someone who's very confident and this is how i feel mm -hmm. but i think that's come at, a, at this time in my life i didn't start out directing that way i you know like i said i went to sundance with like barely a voice at all yeah. and then you know then was directing and navigating that what is a director i don't wear a baseball cap like you know, what am I supposed to, I'm not insane. Oh, I'm sorry, not going to start that, screaming that is such people. a good visual. <laughs> How many directors wear baseball caps? A lot. Well, I'm curious because, I mean, you, your IMDb, IMDb page has so many television shows. We're going to go yeah. back to movies in a minute, but so many television shows. What is the process of navigating just going from show to show to show? What is that like for you as a director to come in and you have an episode, sometimes more than one, but you know, you have an episode of just like, I have to now take this ship and alongside the showrunner, obviously, but how do you navigate that for all of us who don't know what that's like? Yeah, it's very personality driven. Um, so for me, um, you know, again, the, going back to Third Watch, I came up on a show that was very director friendly. Okay. So there were no rules to the show. There was no, you can only do steady cam. You only do hand it. Like there was, it was like, this is your script. Do with it, do what you want with it. And uh, it. that was amazing. And I didn't have anyone. There was no, no writers on set. There was nobody. It was my set, my, the producer, even the producer, the day before I was going out to shoot, I was like, are you going to come hang out? And he was like, no, you can handle it. And I was like, awesome. That's great. Like, so that's how I started in TV. Was Why was that? Set, but me and the actors and the crew. Why do you think that was? Was it just because it's been around for a while? There's a lot of episodes. They, because I think know. John Wells is a great guy. And so it starts at the top. I don't think he's an ego-driven guy. Got it. And as well as productions in New York and writers are in LA. Yeah. So that's part of it too. Because they, you know, then they would send a writer here and there, um, you know, but again, but the writer's role was was to support the the show and the production and the director. And I was supporting their vision and they're supporting my vision. So it was very collaborative. 
then you leave that and then you go to other places and it depends on, you know, who's got the keys to the kingdom on that show, Mm. how secure they are and how collaborative they are. So that's why I say it's all politics because maybe they're control freaks and they're kind of arrogant and you have to run every freaking thing by them. But then I'm an artist. Again, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a director. You hired me for a reason. Right. So I'm going to bring myself to that and I'm going to bring this. And so, you know, I'm going to make this episode is going to be, you know, whatever movie, like we're going to do the conversation in this episode. And, you know, like that's just the way I would like do it. And it would get everybody, the DP, like everyone get excited and wardrobe, like everyone get like, Oh, great. I get that theme. Like we're in, yeah. and that's what I would do for every episode, pick a theme, you know, do it. And then, most of the time run it by, you know, look, when I started, we weren't even calling them showrunners, right? Because they were writers. They were writer produced. It's all guild stuff. You know what I mean? Showrunner, there's not one person running any show. It doesn't work that way. It sure. takes an army to like- Would you just call them head writer? Was that even a uh, term? Um, I just call them the writer, producer, or creator if they were yeah. the creator, Often. but not like a showrunner because a lot of times people have no experience running shows, but that's what they're called. Right. And then, you know, it gets like, what? Like, so, you know, I'm there to help with whatever script and elevate the script. So that's my job and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to, if I'm going outside the box of your show or have some crazy ideas, or whatever. I'm going to run it past, you know what I mean? Right. I'm going to be seen as a oneer. I'm going to let them know ahead of time, like, hey, I'm going to do this as a oneer. And, you know, sometimes as I got more experience, I wouldn't necessarily say that because then they're going to say no without having a clue what you're talking about. And then I'm like, well, I didn't get to do what I know works best here. Mm. That may sound arrogant. No. Yeah, it's-, it's like you're pacing the whole show. You, when you read a script, you can tell this scene, this is going to, this is going to end up on the cutting room floor. We don't need this scene. There's mm-hmm. nothing going on in this scene that's necessary for this show. Wow. And then you'll go and say, do you think we could look at this scene or see, you know, some people be like, yeah, let's look at that. And yeah, let's get, and other people will be like, no, you have to shoot everything. And you're like, but I've got like a 70 page script for 42 minutes. You know what I mean? Like we've got to, no, you got to like shoot. How does that, how do you do that? And you have to do it. Well, so actually that leads me to a question. So as a director, it's, and, and this might be different for every, every television show, but how, how sort of, um, how much are you a part of the casting decisions? Is it usually always someone else? I mean, some shows have director sessions. So I think that's a question that actors ask a lot. They'll be like, how, how much does a director actually get to help with casting for an episode? Again, it it really depends on the creator and and how much control they want to have. So, but it's been an issue. I mean, I've served in the director's guild, um, I did like 10 years there of like really being um, very active in what they call creative rights. Um, And so one of those creative rights is in casting. And so I did the like fighting for in holding on to in-person casting like so hard Um, because I felt like it really makes a difference with the actors to actually meet, to interact, to be able to do direction, to feel the energy, make them comfortable. So when you're on set, you're not meeting someone for the first time 
and you know it's just more personable and and it feels more collaborative and creative I agree and so that part of the process has been taken away um, mainly in large part because people don't want to take time to go to casting you know as a director I do but there are other directors that don't want to either. Like they're busy in prep. They just assume look online at stuff that's taped. And like, I, that's not me. I don't, I can still do it that way. And you can still feel the energy. When people audition, you still feel their energy. You still know. Yeah. Just not, as, it's not the same yeah. um, as, as connecting with them. And, and, and I don't think the performance, you know, it, you just lose an opportunity to go a little deeper course so so I then it got gets to the point where it's all online and then you struggle to like once that that link goes out by the casting director I struggle I don't care if I'm in the van location van scout van or wherever I'm at to try to like get it and like watch it and weigh in before the, anyone else weighs in like because I'm the director I want to put my two cents in first of who I like because once the writer showrunner says who they want casting is all over that and you're like mm. oh okay oh you want that well this is who they like so sorry right so to them that's their consistent client that's their bread and butter that's their so yeah be honest that's their bread and butter yeah so so the the thing is it just gives me satisfaction to weigh in first to at least know i've tried to fight the good fight but it doesn't mean I have final say. I won't have final say. Right. There, there was a point, you know, and this has changed over the, but on the good wife, like. I was know, just going to ask you the good wife, you've had a long standing, you know. Yes. And, and they, in the beginning, you know, the Kings would like call and say, okay, well, why did you like that one better than this? Like it would be a phone call. And then it'd be collaborative. But then the phone call stopped and it was just whatever. And I was like, okay, I get it. Got it. So yeah, yeah I was, I was going to ask, how was I it? I have many friends who are actors and I, they don't even know how many times I put them on the list and I oh. give the cast. I mean, I always get the script. That's one of the first things I'll do is like actors I know, make little notes, get with the casting director on the phone, say, hey, I really like this one, this one, this one. Like, I like these people for these parts. If possible, I'd love to see them or call them in. I, I try, I do that on every script, wow. every script. Most of the people I know don't even know that I'm putting their names out there because 99% of the times they don't even get considered. I, I try. I'm being honest with you. I know I shouldn't be that honest. No. It's yeah. like, it's like, I feel like as a guest director in television, you're like the aunt, long distance aunt who comes for Christmas yeah. or like, or the holidays. And like, you just want her to bring the good shit, bring the presents, bring the good food. Yeah. Get in and get out. Right. Like, and we love her when she comes and then she's gone and she takes right. so it's kind of like that vibe yeah so you just get in and you have to sort of tread lightly and like figure out like how far can I push how far yeah. when do I need to let go how can I whatever yeah it's it's an interesting setup if you think about it I've never really thought about it too much but it is an interesting setup the way television works that they have all these different directors come in and do every episode you know, like you get it because there's so many, it might be hard yes. to, I get it, but theoretically it is a very weird process to have directors come in, come out, come in, come out every week. 
And yeah. especially because, you know, they're so fast. So you have one episode usually per week. And so if you think about that logically, you know, let's say, when do you get, or how, how much in advance do you normally get either a script or get attached to an episode before it starts filming? Is it like, it really three? depends on the show again, okay. depends if it, you know, I think the, it depends because even between network streaming, it's all, it's all different. It's all different. Um, processes depending on who's writing you know some scripts I might get it three months ahead got it and you've been you've been it seems very busy right like the last year on you know directing projects would you say that yeah I've been busy which is great um anything that you're able to talk about well I mean I just I guess my first job in COVID I mean I I got out of a lot of jobs in COVID I'm not a director who directs back-to-back TV or anything like that I I just probably a good thing for your own yeah I can't well-being. I can't I can't do that I yeah. just I'm, I can't I can't hand I need stop time in between to like write and do my own stuff so good. you know the Take beginning of, you. of COVID the first like few months I'm really excited because I wrote a script that like I've been sitting on in my brain. For a film? I imagine for a film. for a feature, yeah. So I hope that's the next feature after this one. But um, so I was sitting on this for years. Again, talking about time frame. You think, oh, I'm not being productive. I'm not writing. Because I don't have time. And then you get the time and all that stuff inside like pours out and you just like write, write, write. So I need that time for that. And I think as actors too, I think, you know, you guys really need to empower yourselves to write your stuff too, or find that book or do all that, you know? Um, so I wrote a script and then I was supposed to go down to Georgia and do creep show. And then it was like COVID, you know, election, like November, I was like, I can't handle Georgia. Like all of it was like, I can't leave the house right now. Like it was just no. And then, so I didn't do that. I felt a little bad and walking dead. I didn't do, they're both in Georgia. And then, and they understood and they're wonderful people. But then truth be told came up and they're, you know, close to the house in LA. I had done it before for Apple and I'm like, well, let me go. You know, I love Octavia Spencer, like great cast, like all the cast. I'm like, let me go and do that. And then I did. And it was really hard, really, really hard work. With all the COVID. The COVID was. It's a lot. I just thought, honestly, I thought people are going to be so much nicer and kinder to each other because of everything we're going through. Like Hollywood is <laughs> it was like, no, you know why? Because they're spending millions of dollars on COVID. And it's like they crunch even more. Like yeah. even more tired. I heard I heard it was like an additional 20% of the budget. But then and that's nuts. Then cut episodes and do what you can shoot. Don't do the same number and take it out of me. Like, right. Yeah. Oh my God. So much pressure, so much pressure and people on it. It was just brutal. And then I was like, okay. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm making a movie. We went down to Mexico in two weeks. I'm going down officially start prep on shooting. This movie. It's called Hail Mary. And I'm like, that's, and you that's wrote this. And I you didn't wrote, write this. Oh, you didn't write so this. Came to me. This is like, this is timeline stuff. This is like, Things shut down. 
I get a text from a director I know saying, you really should read this script from Karina Miller. And I'm like, who's Karina? What script are you talking about? I like her last name. Yeah. Good name. Of course. Good name. It's a great name. Great We're not name. related to her right now. No, I know. But I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I call my agent. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. We have this script. I'm sorry. Whatever. COVID, you know, whatever. So I'm like, okay, cool. Send it to me. I read it. And then I like it, really like it. And then turns out she lives like five minutes from me. And so we're like, well, before we decide we're going to commit to doing the movie, she'd gone out to other directors and stuff, but I kind of like put a great lookbook together. Like I was really into it. So I sold myself well on that. Yes. And then she was like, we were, we were both like on zoom and like, why don't we get together and social distance walk? Yes. See if we even like each other. Great call. And so we did. And that was like a year and a half ago. And we already went to Mexico and we're like shooting a movie now. And I'm like, oh my God, it took the pandemic for that to happen. That's how, how long are you shooting for? 35 days. Woo. Quick. Yes. Longer than my other movie, but it's a very complicated movie. It's a, it's a crazy movie. So it'll be a lot of fun. It's basically like a retelling of like Mary, Jesus and Joseph, but like it's Maria and Jose and, and Jesus is a girl and whatever. It's just like, it's this with the devil chasing them and the it's, it's about immigration basically. Got it. It's told with like a sort of fantastic, surreal little monster movie, like just adventure loves. It's just this crazy movie, which is just so much fun. So, um, so good. It's so good. It's so, I'm so excited for you. And I can't wait to see all those pictures on Instagram. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. It's like, it's really good. So, you know, patience is never an easy thing for me, but I feel like all the hard work and all the, you know, rejection and perseverance I think I was just saying this before I think the people who make it in this business are the people who don't give up because at some point you really start to question like wow I mean is it worth it and you know if you can see yourself doing something else with your life then you should do that yeah if you can be an architect or whatever you want to be but don't do this. This is, you have to be in this. For long, yeah, long. I agree. I remember people used to say to me, cause I, I wanted to be an actress since I was like six. And I remember we would meet people, my mom and I, and we would ask them like, Oh, what advice do you have for, you know, my daughter's an actor or me, if I was talking to them and they'd always say, do anything else, do yeah. anything else if you can. And I'd be like, Oh, how, how could you say that? And then it was only until, you know, I'd be so upset. I'd be like, why would they, they're in it. They, they're, you know, they're famous or they're this, why would they say that? Um, and my aunt actually got the same, uh, same advice from Jane Fonda years and years ago. Jane Fonda said the same wow. thing. And my aunt became a real estate agent. And I was like, good for you. <laughs> Cause yeah. she's doing really well in that. Exactly. And, I, and the idea is if you can do anything else, I get it. I yeah. get it. Yeah. Like I did this job. Um, I just want my pants back, which is like an MTV show. Was I remember fun. that show. I love that show. I loved that show. I, I think know. We looked at, well, I was in on another MTV show. So I think maybe, but I really loved that show. It was crazy. And Doug Lyman produced that show. And Doug Lyman was like, you haven't been fired. 
from a job? Like you haven't been fired as a director? And I'm like, no. He goes, well, you're not a director if you haven't been fired. And I'm like, like, what are you talking about? Like, it's normal. normal. It's normal to be fired from uh, at least once from being a director, apparently. Okay. Well, hopefully, you know, it starts from the top. Hopefully Hail Mary in Mexico. Yes. A oh. super collaborative, cohesive, and just a yeah. different environment. Oh no, for sure. It already is. And then you'll put together, hopefully, the thing that you wrote during COVID. Yes, that's what I'm working on now. I had a storyboard artist that I worked on uh, on Peacemaker. He's like doing some storyboards for me. I'm putting the lookbook together. I'm going to go full out with like getting funded. Because the second movie I made, I had to fund myself too with all my TV money. Right. So this is- Silver Skies, right? Yes. And I'm not funding this one. So that's- Feels good. Years. Feels good. I'm sure. Feels Dude, good. Twenty years. Come on. That's like talk about snails pace. Oh my but God. Rosemary, you know, I just hope it's. I hope it's a bit of that. Like I hope it's a momentum thing where, like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we'll talk next year and you'll be like, Michelle, I've done like four projects that were not my money. You know, like that, oh I, I want to hear like. You know, that you never know. It just, it's a crazy business where, you know, I mean, you know, better than me, it's just such a crazy, but you don't even know where it could go. And uh, well, I feel really good about the thing that I wrote because I also feel like it is more commercial than anything I've written before. And yeah. so it's more, it's more my, my point of view versus from deep within my like psyche. Mm. So I feel like it won't be as know. hard to sell, hopefully. That's what I think. I and think already, that, yeah. the first thing I've given my agent where he's like, whoa, this is good. And I was yeah. like, finally, because they're always like, oh, they're little character driven things. Like, what do we do with this? I, I feel like that happens a lot with writers because I, I just talked to so many, at least in the last year. And I feel like they always like write one or two projects right away that are deeply personal, yeah. but really hard to sell. Yeah. And you're just like, I know, I mean, I'm not as much of a writer, so it's hard for me to, but from the outside, I'm like, just make something commercial so that you're able to sell the, the harder character driven thing because but you have to get those things out of your system first. Yeah. That might be that's it. the problem. I that mean, might that's, be it. that's the evolution of an artist, I you know, your, yeah. your world gets starts in and then you go out from there. So good point. It's just the way it works. So that's why it's, you know, it takes patience, but yeah. I do think as an actor, I definitely think you should make my own work writing yes i i what surprises me is how many actors i say wow i would love to work with you again is there a character that you'd love to play is there a book that Mm, i'm not kidding 90 percent of them i have no clue i i have an idea of what i I definitely have an idea of what i want to play i think i just need to sit down and like have fun and brainstorm and play around with what that looks like. Cause I'll have an idea for a character and I'll have an idea for a plot. And I just have not put it together and created something from it. Right. Um, but you know, it's, it's hard, especially if you don't consider yourself a writer, you're just like, I just have these ideas. Um, but I think you're just supposed to do it. And I think not judge yourself for it. Look, I wasn't a writer. I had not written anything, but I took screenwriting classes and I read books and I just got you know you know online and just did the stuff I needed to do to be a sponge and learn and just start writing and I mainly took 
classes so that I would have deadlines and force myself to have to show up with something. I, that is, that is the advice I've learned from, um, David Gray, right? David, who is an executive producer on Madam Secretary, he said the same thing. He said he used to teach writing classes. That's what he would do before he wrote as a TV writer. Mm -hmm. But he said that exact thing that his people would come into classes for, with him and they'd say, we just need deadlines. I yeah. just, I have, I need people to hold me accountable. That's for, it. And that's good. It's just true. I think it's just, that's one of the reasons, I mean, I love this podcast for so many, so many reasons, and I'm so grateful for you to be on this, but it's like, I, I, it's so reassuring to know that wherever you are in your career, it's so, so much more similar than I think we think, because we, we look oh, yeah. at where people are, who are successful, who are doing well, who are doing the things they want to do. And you're like, I don't even know how to get there. Right. I don't even know how, you know what I mean? But then it, 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 it feels reassuring to think it's the same human process. It's the same feelings that we all have. And, and you're probably on the track and you just don't realize, or like, it doesn't feel like it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, we're sort of restless people. Again, we're artists. So you're right. restless by nature. Right. I yeah. think we're all kind of restless. So, you know, being able to feel like embracing the process of where I'm at, is very challenging for me. And I try to meditate every day, at least for five minutes. Like I yeah. really try to like, just be present because I have no control over all those things. Like I have a pilot I'm attached to. I have another show that I'm creating that I'm co-creator on, but like that stuff could go we away don't in know. two seconds. We don't know what happens to it. Like we just don't. But you put it out there and you keep, keep putting it out there and keep yeah. trying to create things. And at the end of the day, I, I don't know that, whatever there is. I mean, I always imagined myself, honestly, like getting an Academy Award, being the first female, that's not, that's already not going to happen because other people, thank God, have done it. Amazing yeah. directors, um, Catherine Bigelow. But, um, yes. you know, like, like there was, I always had those sort of visions for myself and yeah, it's hard. It's like, am I going to get there? Am I not? Yes. Getting there? And then you start meet you meet people. And I've met people from the beginning of my career that were older and they're like kind of that angry, bitter phase I had, they kind of get that way. And they're like, oh, we never got where we wanted to go. And they're like miserable. And I'm like, fuck, I don't want to be that. And it, that, that, that branches out. I mean, that's part of the reason I made a movie about older people too, was to explore that. Like how do people end up happy at the end of their lives versus right. like yeah. old and pleasant yeah. versus nasty old fucks. Like yes. So I wanted to explore that because of seeing people and, you know, I just met, we're meeting with editors and I just met with an editor for um, Hail Mary and, you know, this guy, Martin Hunter, he cut Full Metal Jacket. It's like, that's crazy. Like I, he worked with Kubrick on The Shining and then like, so cool. up to like and he's doing movies, but he's in Sweden. He's doing little things. And does oh. Hollywood regard him with what? what he should be doing I don't think so in my opinion but this is again you know like Frank Capra was like lucky he was teaching at the end of his career because nobody was hiring to direct anymore it's like this is what we go through so yeah I think, I think for me if I'm not creating or reading a book I, I mean everything I'm just working 24 7 in my yeah. my nightstand is a little post-it thing I wake up at night I write post-it like 
everything I read is like, I don't want to read it if it's already been made into a movie because like, I feel that sometimes too. I look at my bookshelf and I'm like, you're already being made to an Amazon show. You're being made into a movie. I was like, do I need to read that? No. Um, Last couple quick things. I just want to be mindful of your time. So I always like to end with what is your definition of success? Well, I, I grab, I, I, I struggle with that definition every day. Yeah. Because my life is very successful because I, I try to, you know, not contribute to the ills of the world and yeah. not contribute negativity in the world even if it's, you know, keeping my political views to myself and not spewing them out, like whatever I can do to like make things better on every level for any human being, including my husband, like anything I can try to do, which I fall short every single day, but I succeed in many levels every single day. So that is successful, right? I'm not harming anyone. I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm trying to make the world. I try to give you know, volunteer, just different things. And so, you know, I have a house. I mean, I was homeless. I have a house with a pool. That's even just taking that in is too much for me. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna get me emotional too. So what is success? That's a success, right? Yeah. Do I have the Academy Award? Yet. Yet. But I'm still saying yet because I'm not going to on that yet. I don't think you so should. That's the outside stuff that I think as an artist just gives me kind of a false goal of like, I need to get there. And it keeps me like agitated enough to always be yeah. seeking the next story yes. and the next actor and the next producer. And, you know, so I think that there's a reason why I put this other outside definition, definition of success into my brain. Mm. But I think, you know, if you're, if you're an artist and you're in your process of creating and you're not harming anybody in the world, then you are definitely a successful person. Thank you so much. Well, we'll work together one day. I I believe it. I feel, I feel that too. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rosemary. It's such a pleasure, not only just to get to know your journey a bit, but just to meet you and to get to talk to you and You're just, you're wonderful. No, you're so nice. I mean, you know, we all go have experiences and inform who we are. So I'm just lucky I'm here with you today. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you haven't yet, do me a favor, drop a five-star review, follow on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, and find me on Instagram. I'm at at Michelle Simone Miller and at Mentors on the Mic. Share this in your stories. Let me know what you think. Share it with a friend, and I'll see you next time.